Welcome to BizBytes, brought to you by Com Together, helping businesses like yours build their brand through telling amazing stories to engage and grow audiences on multiple platforms. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of BizBytes. And uh, I have a guest with me today that I've got to know a little bit over the last uh, few months, and uh, even enjoyed a a lunch we can talk about later on with a, with a whole lot of other people that was a bit of fun um but uh james uh, i'd love you to introduce yourself to our audience please yeah, thanks anthony um james hay i'm a director at ct group solutions we're a national it business um focused on the legal and financial markets uh based out of perth but with a footprint in each state as of now fantastic yeah and it's uh and and you were just telling me before the business has really grown uh, quite a bit in recent times. Yeah, look, um, the three years that I've been with the business, and I'm not saying this has anything to do with me whatsoever, but um, my three other business partners have really sort of um, positioned us as a as a national leader. But we've gone from roughly about 22 staff, I think, when I started to we've just hit 50 staff nationally. So yeah, it's um, you know, the, the growth comes at a cost, but it's um, it's been a very successful sort of three year period. And I gather, uh, particularly specialising in the legal and financial space, that there's there are a lot of additional requirements, and I guess there's also that feeling of of com- compliance and and that necessity there, which is maybe a little bit different to some of the other other professions. Yeah, certainly. Um, oh, look, I think data retention for all professions these days, and data security is um is a big sort of key topic. Um, uh, of contention, but um, in terms of the legal and the, the financial space, um, the yeah, obviously re- recording sensitive information for all clients um, is going to be held at the utmost, and securing that data is is certainly important and certainly something that we um we have to focus on as a business, but also deliver to our clients um you know, on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it is uh, in a day and age where there's so much, um, I guess, scams that are out there. There's so much uh, people imitating uh, other other things and looking for opportunities to to uh, I guess uh, do the wrong thing, which is um, uh, makes it, it makes it a difficult place to navigate. And there's a lot more reliance on getting the the IT part right, whereas I guess if it was only a few years ago that people kind of was just a ticking the box exercise, but there's a lot more emphasis on it now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just have to look at a few of the the more recent um, more recent breaches, such as Latitude Finance uh, and part of that Medibank and. You know, there's been it's sort of almost a weekly occurrence these days, and I think um, when it comes down to, I guess the level of uh, hacking and the level of sort of data breaches, um, you know, if you bang on a door hard enough, people generally find a way in. So making sure that you you are compliant is a huge part of that, especially you know, the government's very aware of um, controlling that data and ensuring security around it. So things like the Essential Eight, which are being released, um, I think 2024-25, um, and auditing around security of data. Um, security is is going to be a huge huge part of focus, especially in that legal and financial sector. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and I particularly, you know, somewhere in in both of those sectors, there's a lot of confidential information that gets given to people, uh, you know, to in in that on all sorts of different areas. And uh, you, there's it, it's interesting because there's a level of trust that you have with your lawyer, with your financial advisor, with your accountant. 
and uh, and which is fine and and there's there's a lot of things that you know those those professions do to establish that trust but the uh, the the fact of the matter is most of the information is passed on via uh, via websites and via emails and uh, and other electronic uh, means and wow it's just uh, it's scary how much information is passed on that way and there's kind of a blind expectation that it's going to be okay. Yeah, I think there is, and I think there's a trust factor. I mean, these industries are heavily relationship and reputationally, um, you know, respected. And I think when you're giving sensitive information, you do trust that you are giving it to the right people. Um, securing that data and ensuring that you have that security um, is is massive, but also making sure that you've got the insurance backing it up. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more of our clients specifically asking for um asking us to help with uh, their insurance applications and, you know, uh, getting their cyber insurance up to date and ensuring, I think, going through that process to, you know, get the additional uh, benefits of a, a lower um, a lower premium is, you know, doing all the checks at the background with your, your IT company. So we, we are spending a lot of time with our clients, making sure that they tick all the boxes to um, make sure that they are secured and that hopefully will give their clients in turn more confidence in uh, where they are spending their data. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that is uh, it's become something that I think people are actually talking about, um, which is which is really interesting because it really wasn't that long ago where it was not a hot discussion topic, and you were, and I, I guess you would remember these times where they were trying to convince anyone that you needed to do any of this stuff was was pushing it uphill, right? Yeah, look, it, it has, it's come a long way, very fast, I think, in the last sort of five years, but it has always been something I think at the back of mind. Um, I think the sort of expansion of the, I guess, dark web and people able to sell this data onto other people quite easily um, has made it a lot more difficult. But it also, you know, the, the Western world and the amount of uh, digital currency and, I guess, digital information that we have flowing around, it just, you know, it does make us a sort of prime target for any sort of, uh, I guess, any sort of hacking and, and data uh, stealing sort of exercise. Yes. Uh, well, look, and I wanted to just um, go away from that for a little bit, uh, a little while, firstly, and and come back to you, and tell me a little bit about your journey, uh, James, and um, how you got into this this area. Where did it Where did it begin? Like, was this a was was IT the space that you wanted to be in when you uh, originally speaking school university days? <laughs> no, no, definitely not, Anthony. Look, I'm um, I've I've been working. I've been in sales now since I was sort of fourteen. I think my first job. I can tell you my first job at 14 or nine months was the pizza call center. Um, university wasn't something that I, I was that interested in. I think once I got to the end of school, I just wanted to start or keep working. Um, sales has always been an area that I've, I've been, I've, you know, I've been working in and it's always been an area that I've had held jobs um, for, well, since I was 14. So I think um, the legal industry, and I guess, not so much tech, but more so just law and accounting is where I, um, I've i spent the majority of the last 16, 17 years. Uh, from Thomson Reuters, I've worked in um, Hong Kong and uh, Australia with LexisNexis, and then more recently with QuickFee in my last role in the sort of finance segment. So <clears throat> anything from resources, uh, software, to then uh, finance with QuickFee, um, I sort of saw when when the business, when CT Group approached me originally, they were looking at expanding out to the East Coast um, and they had a couple of options from their directors at the time, which was they were looking at 
either diversifying on the West Coast and looking at going into engineering, architecture, um, consulting other areas and professional services you can support or maintaining, I guess, that level of specialization where our our staff are, you know, um, are trained and sort of understand the practice management systems, the document, the software suites that legal and um, account, lawyers and accountants use. And so I think with that specialization in mind, they, they um, got in contact with a few people to recommend and, you know, I've went through the process having a chat with the, the team and um, to be honest I, I wasn't really looking at leaving uh, quick feet at the time and I sort of mentioned to the guys that you know I really wanted to be involved in something and they put down um, a, a potential uh, buy-in and ownership over a, a few years and yeah managed to it sort of gave me a kick to really uh, help them grow this business so I was the first employee on the east coast and yeah tech was not an area I had really understood but I guess in terms of my experience up until that point, having the sort of software, the resources, the the financial, um, the operational side, and I guess you know, technology and software generally, you know, they're in the top three or the third largest expenditure on your um, on your balance sheet. It just seemed a nice um, rounding off of uh, I guess knowledge for me in terms of uh, the legal and the accounting space. So. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's still learning every day. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm, I'm an expert in in the security side of our business, the data center security of our data centers. Um, you know, one thing that our managing director, Anton Teese, has done very well is he's got a director group in that specialize in their, I guess, uh, silos of business. So we all have our own role to play, but they all intertwine. And I think from, I guess, the perspective of where we go to market is we all have an expertise in a certain area. Um, mine is Jeff, definitely the relationship and reputation side of the business and being able to further the brand on a national scale. Um, but also I know that I'm backed by three people or three business partners that will um, you know, will give expert opinion on, on their areas as well. I love um, I love the way the business is set up, but particularly I'm interested in as well that whole idea of of coming out of the the security of working for a a, a big organisation or a decent size one anyway, and uh, and then coming in and uh, buying into effectively buying into a business or t- getting an ownership of that. Um, you know that must have was that something that you'd ever considered before? Um, it wasn't. I I mean my first experience with uh, moving from sort of the big business into a smaller business was the move into quick fee and quick fee was an established business um of i think eight to ten years and uh you know well recognized becoming well recognized in market but we're only about 10 to 12 employees in australia when when i started there and i learned very quickly from our ceo bruce coombs who was just a phenomenal um phenomenal businessman but watching him um learn how important uh going to or your reputation is and how important for a small business um, to rely on relationships um, and, you know, people do buy from people they like. Um, I think it's a, a huge part of selling is, you know, ensuring that if that relationship's there and reputation's there, it's um, if, if it's not now, it's when. So, you know, we, we look at and I look at, um, I guess, our go-to-market as a very long-term strategy, um, especially when it's a technology move is um, it is a, a big process. It's also a big uh you know, it's, a, it's a big um, move for a business to decide to make. Um, we also know that you know, um, if we don't get a contract, it's nothing personal. So it is really, I always want to make sure that I'm put in a position that we've always got a chance. So in terms of your, your question, I think from going from a big business to a small business, there's there's nothing really to hide behind. 
um, you know, target-wise, growth-wise, um, they're, they're clear defined roles within that organisation that, you know, um, if they're not hit, uh, it's very obvious that they, you know, where, where we're sort of failing. Um, I think in a large business, it's easy to, to I guess, um, fall into the shadows or sort of hide behind others or, you know, play, play the blame game. But uh, small business, there's a, there's a lot more responsibility and you've also, with that, got a lot more input into the direction. So um, I think it was a, yeah, it took me probably a year quickly to really, really understand that properly and really sort of push forward with it. Um, I think now having the experience I did um, coming into this business has given me a real a real go at um, ha- helping shape it um, the way that I guess our values and I guess the way that the, the uh, my director group sort of see our long-term future looking. I think it's uh, fantastic that there's such an emphasis on values as well. I'm, I'm, I'm big on talking about that because often we attract the wrong people because we tell the wrong stories and uh, there's a difference between what you think you should be saying and what you actually are saying about you and what you actually are around your values. And the more that you you uh, bring bring those stories over, the more that you're going to attract the right people and be they the clients or be they potential staff members or supporters or suppliers or anything else, you, people will align themselves naturally with those values and the, the being in touch with who you are as a business is such a critical thing, to, critical exercise to be doing on a fairly regular basis, particularly in your situation where you're expanding on a, on a fairly rapid way. Yeah, definitely. And look, you, you can see from the teams that we have in the business and um, you know, I'm talking sort of from an operational standpoint, from a project standpoint, um, they're all very close-knit teams. We've got a very good culture um, internally, um, which has made it just a lot easier from a management perspective to work with. I, um, I myself... I've got a very small team, so my team is very easy to manage at the moment, um, but that's ever-growing. And we are, I am always on the lookout for New South Wales specifically at the moment, as well as uh, Queensland as our sort of next areas of uh, of growth from a sales side of things. But, yeah, you, you're right. And I think that that's um, it's a hard thing to implement. We, we've had sort of a tendency to hire slow and fire fast. And I know it sounds quite, quite sort of strict and sort of down the line, but it's from a culture perspective, it is super important um, that we know that our our staff um, uh, are paid by our clients. They're not paid by the director group. They're you know it's our clients that are keeping food on the table and keeping us growing at the right pace. Um, so it is super important that I think from a service level, being a service business, um, we're able to deliver that. And it's very quick to see people uh, to see certain um, staff that I guess um, can't or just um, yeah just don't have that that. I guess, level of service in them. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think that's such a, uh, a great attitude to to have when it's coming to, you know, to to engaging with these uh, businesses. And and particularly, I, I, I find it interesting, I mean, how, with the legal and legal profession particularly, um, do you find that they've got enough of a focus on their values? Do you think they understand, um, you know, that kind of idea? Oh, look, I think the... The legal profession, they're just like any business. Um, some some do have a great sort of key, um, I guess, key line to their values. Um, others, you know, they you know they might be practicing lawyers who have gone out on their own and they're they're not really equipped to to manage a business. So those values sort of um, you know get lost in translation. I think. Um, so I think um, generally speaking, uh, established legal firms and the ones that have sort of clear and transparent goals that they set to their staff um, definitely um, share those values and 
and they're the businesses that we sort of align with and we we also see them as um i guess uh our ideal client to work with um because it's it does make it a lot easier i mean we're dealing in the service side of things from a tech perspective is we, we could get a call and it could be user error, but we need to shoulder that for the, the partner or for the associate or for the admin staff from that business to regardless of how irate they might be. Um, and we need to obviously get a fix for them in a, in a, uh, a very quick time and make sure it's done right the first time. Yes, it's it's one of those things, isn't it, in this space that people don't often want to admit that they were the problem, right? That they they did some they did something wrong. And how often is it? I mean, I you know, I, I know the standard IT responses. If you tried turning it off and turning it back on again, but um, but the truth is, is that that user error does account for a fair amount of of uh, of issues, and and it is, but but it comes down to how you're going to be able to deal with that, as you say, and. And uh, you know, if people appreciate that, that regardless, that you're there to help. Well, that's that's right. And look, from our perspective, um, you know, it's it it can't be a user error. Um, you know, regardless of what the error is, it's it's now our sort of our uh, ticket to deal with, and you know, we we need to shoulder that and make sure that we um we fix it uh, for the client, regardless of what that issue is. And I know we we very rarely ask anyone to turn anything off and turn it on again, but it is uh. It's a well-known sort of quip in the uh, the IT space. Yeah. Um. It, so I wanted to ask you though, James, as well, getting drifting away back from this and back into the um your specific area of sales. Um. Why Why do you think sales was the area that you always wanted to go into originally? Um. What was the What was the natural drive towards that? Um. It's a good question. I don't think it was a natural drive. Um, at the time of my life, sort of when I when I was young, um, school, I just didn't really, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, it wasn't something that I wanted to focus on. And by the time I finished year twelve, uh, study was the last thing on my mind. So sales seemed like the easiest way to make money. Um, realistically, I think I had a lot of goals when I was a teenager to sort of buy into property and go all sorts of ways. And in hindsight, I really wish I'd saved a bit better in those um, sort of early days, but. I think um, sales just seem like a, a sort of um, a quick, uh, a quick access to to give myself um, a leg up or to allow me to do the things that I wanted. Um, so I think it wasn't really something that I was driven towards, but it's now something that I really enjoy doing. And I think it's more so that I found my space in sales. Um, you know, I'm not a typical salesperson. I haven't made a cold call in God knows how many years, and it's something that I, I flat out refuse to do. Um, I will always focus on relationships and those relationships uh, generate leads from the people that I've met, the people that I know. Utilising LinkedIn, if I see someone that I want to speak to at a certain firm or I've heard that they're disinterested in their IT or they're, they're unsatisfied um, and I, you know, I would love to speak to that firm, I would ask for a, a warm introduction in from someone that I could find new, the right contact of that business. So I think in the last six years, and this was mainly a learning curve through through QuickFee, where I'd started there and I think the, the business had brought me on to, you know, really with the idea that I had a book of contacts. And prior to that, I'd been working the barrister market, which didn't have the, the business that we were looking for at QuickFee. So I really had to to utilise, I guess, all all sorts of ideas. Uh, it was, you know, emails and, you know, that would have been the last time I cold called would be the first three months of that, you know, um, almost eight years ago. Um, and I think really from a sales perspective, it made me realize that I think going through the different processes of either engaging coldly, um, just sending out blanket emails, um, to then figuring out ways that I could utilize Bruce's 
um, networking market or his um, his relationship with the business or prior relationship, um, regardless of being contacted two or three years before. Um, also, uh, I guess using a, um, a USP, a unique selling point. So telling the story of where Quickfeed come to at that point. Um, the same story that you know I'll tell today with CT Group, um, being the first employee on the East Coast and now having I think 18 employees on the East Coast. It's it's a great story to tell that you know our the confidence of our our clients has sort of you know, helped us grow at that sort of rate. Um, but I think being in this position that I'm in now, um, relationship and reputation are, are solely um, what I would focus on, and it's it's a sort of employee that I would want um, coming on board as part of this team um, is someone that can see share those values. Um, they you know want to build their their name in market, they want to build their their reputation. And, you know, um, I think it's you know you, you've typically got two types of salespeople uh, when you're talking in in any industry. It's the same as in this industry, these industries as well. But you've got one that sort of sells a brand. Um, you know, it could be the zero guy, the mild guy, the you know, uh, practice practice evolved guy, or leap guy. Um, and then you've got one that sells their brand. So it's James from CT Group rather than it's a CT Group guy. So that's that's sort of how I see sales and why I really, you know, I might not have been driven here or motivated to be in sales originally, but, you know, where I've managed to get to career-wise, this is what I really enjoy doing is, is you know, working with people that I, you know, I share a mutual respect for. And I think that that's where my um, relationships within this industry have sort of led me to. Um, I work with great people, um, the partners of the firms we work with and the you know the the contacts that we have in these in the legal and the financial industries are just you know I, I would consider them sort of personal friends as well as you know um, professional contacts. So it, it's it's been a it, an interesting sort of twenty years, I guess. Yeah, it's it's fantastic to be able to build those relationships in those areas. It does make a huge difference, and and uh, you know I love that I, that differentiation that you've got between sales, between selling the brand and selling selling yourself as uh, you know first in, in there, and because relationships are ultimately what determine where you buy from. People buy from people, right? And um, so hiding just particularly behind a brand, it, it can get you through the front door if the brand's well known enough but it doesn't do anything for you and, yeah. and and where you're trying to drive. And 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 that's not being so. And I think that's a, I think commonly there'd be some businesses that would shy away from that approach because they would think, well, there's a risk that, um, you know, in your situation, you're an owner, but um, if you're, if you're um, not an owner, then selling yourself that way uh, runs the risk for the business that if that person leaves and, you know, let's face it, people move from job to job and at, at times in their life that you don't want all of those clients picking up and moving with them. That's right. And look, I think, um, oh, look, there's a lot to unpack with with sort of thinking that down that path, but I think it's more beneficial than it is non. And I think um, the difference in how you sell and the, the products that you're selling sort of lead you to be one of those two salespeople. I think, um, you know, we, we focus on long-term agreements anyway. It is a big move to move IT, but um, holding those relationships is, is super important and we're not a transactional um, sales organisation. So I think um, a lot of transactional sales businesses, if we were selling sort of a, a one-off product or something that can be sort of set and forget, um, yeah, you would have salespeople just, you know, turning 40 calls a day, doing their, doing sort of, you know, working as a, a soldier for the business, just selling as much as they can. Um, we're very much not a product like that at all. Uh, we are service-based. We're human cost um, associated with uh, our service levels. And there's, you know, it's super important to sell on relationships. And I, I don't think 
worrying about where a person decides to go with their careers and anything that I would rather them build those relationships and you know the re- relationship in our business isn't just with the salesperson. You know, we, we've got a clear process when it you know once we're on board we we hand over um, to projects team who are on board the projects team then go into our service team and they get given their own team of um of customer service or the um, I guess engineers so the level ones to level threes so really the, the relationship with our clients is going to be business-wide um, and that I wouldn't be worried about people leaving. I think I'd be proud if um, people could build up their their name and sort of go and contact people outside of, um, at, you know, if they decided to move on. Um, I think that that shows that we've done something right in our, in our business um, because, you know, uh, I wouldn't expect anyone to, you know, if, if they're not a, an owner or if they, I guess they don't, if they find something better or you know, whatever it is, um, if they need career progression, um, people should always know what their value is. So I think that that's a super important part of, um, of management is recognising the value in your staff um, and being first on first foot. You, you don't want someone, the last thing I want is one of my staff to, to find out that one of them has been interviewing for six months if they, if they just wanted something slightly different. I think it's a great attitude and I, I definitely love that the the way um that you've structured the business in that way. And and um uh, I, I did want to just ask you as well, you know, setting up on the East Coast uh from a from a West Coast business means that uh you're not all in the room uh very often uh together and you're you're you know, that's the nature of your business anyway, isn't it? That it's that people are dispersed. You know, how does that, uh, how do you overcome that dynamic as a business, particularly when you're talking so heavily reliant on shared values? Uh, is does, does that factor into it that people are prepared to be, you know, working hard, but still within the context of, of you know, even if they're not in the same room together? Yeah, look, uh, again, great question, Anthony. We, um, on the East Coast, we are all remote workers. So uh, I think there's four or three or four of us that have access to um, a sort of shared space in the city uh, should we need it. Um, but building this business on the East Coast, we have we know our staff and we know that the staff on the East Coast, um, you know, young families or whatever, um, they have loved the, the work from home. They do need to be on site when they need to be on site. And that might be once a week. It might be twice a week. Some weeks it might be for a whole week. So um, I think from, from our perspective, it, it doesn't. I know that we're not going to, to start an office anytime soon on the East Coast, that we'll be sort of pushing people to, to attend on a frequent basis. We do have a, a head office um, and a big office over in Perth. Um, the guys there you know, have a great culture and a great in-office culture. Um, I think the East Coast being built on remote work is, is quite different, but we do do quarterly catch-ups in person. And I think having that face time with uh, the staff, um, regardless of, the, the different areas of the business that they work in is um, is super important. And, you know, as I've said, you know, the guys get along with each other really well. We're, we've got a great great culture and a great team. Um, but I do think it's important to have those those quarterly catch-ups as well as um, the check-ins. The, I mean, they're, they're always speaking with each other on, on teams. And we have a, a very sort of um, clear direction in terms of upskilling our, our uh, service staff where, you know, the level ones, if uh, one of one of our sort of firm policies is not to transfer clients um, internally, if you're the one that's been given one of the tickets, the issues, um, you're, and you're a level one, but it's a level three issue, um, we we in, well, encourage our level ones to work with our level threes to close out that ticket to sort of help with the constant upskilling, but it also helps with building 
relationships internally and continue, I guess, from a business continuity perspective, keeping um, that engagement ongoing um, and also sort of progression career-wise ongoing um, internally. Uh, just before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you as well, um, and, and this is an interesting one for someone who's in sales um, and, and therefore is not necessarily managing the people, the clients on a, on a day-to-day basis, but where do you think that there's a, you know, a, an aha moment for the clients that have gone, we're really glad we've we've chosen to go with you guys? Is it Does it happen during the sales process or does it more happen at a point when they're starting to work with you? Uh, yeah, look, great, great question. I can tell you some sort of feedback from some of our more recently onboarded clients, but in terms of that aha moment, I think it's the the ease of process um, through the onboarding. Um, we we sort of shelter our clients from the, the tra- transfer of data, um, but also a clear sort of direction of, you know, you're handed over from the sales, which you've got a great relationship with. You've gone through a, a benchmarking process with the project team. So you've already been introduced to that team. Um, this, the smooth sort of transition from that point is the onboarding could take if it's a cloud deployment and you know, depending on, I guess, uh, what resources you've, uh, you've sort of gone down the path of, um, could take a six to sort of 10 week period. By the time that you're onboarded and then handed over to the service, you've already engaged with us potentially for three months. Um, we've, we've had some clients that, you know, we will engage with at the moment. I've got some that I'm working with, I've been working with for three years. Um, to sort of get to the point that they're comfortable to make that move or that they're out of contract. So through all that period, you, you've been engaged with us the whole time. So you know what you're getting. Um, when you're onboarded, uh, that aha moment comes from that sort of initial three-month account management meeting where we sort of, there's two account management meetings that we do on a quarterly basis with our clients. One from a customer service perspective, talking about tickets, trying to see if there's any inherent um I guess, ongoing issues with specific staff, if there's something with specific products, software, whatever it is. The other one's more technical and more of a a future conversation. It's what are you guys looking at doing? What's the business wanting to achieve over the next 18, 24 months? I think um, one of the the best feedback, uh, best lot of feedback I had was from quite a large client in Melbourne that we signed who came back to me after six months. They'd gone through a huge amount of projects just to onboard, upgrade of um, machines, upgrade of uh, software. They've you know, they deployed everything to their staff. And one of the things that um, their IT manager came back to me on was um, it said it's great to start talking about the future and to start talking about, you know, what what's next um, and to look at these options. So I think from where they had come to, I guess, where we had sort of structured them and sort of got them onboarded at, um, they could start looking now, you know, regardless of cost efficiencies, regardless of staff efficiencies, time efficiencies, all of those sorts of areas that we already focused on in the proposal, they could start talking about tech efficiencies long term. So what what we can what they can implement and what they can look at doing over, a, I guess, a three to five year period. Fantastic, James. Uh, I've really enjoyed the uh, the journey that not only your personal journey that you've been on, but the journey that you take your clients on. I I, I love the relationship building and the story that goes around that and the, and the patience that you uh, exude in, in managing those relationships over a period of time before they, they convert. And it's very refreshing to hear a sales process that is not, uh, you know, um, knocking on your door, almost cold calling, going, just come and buy from us straight away. And uh, full credit to you and the way you've built the business and the way it continues to to grow. Uh, thank you so much for being a, a fantastic guest on on BizBytes. I really appreciate the uh, the conversation. Oh, thanks, I really appreciate you including me. 
And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in. And uh, we'll be back next time with another edition of BizBytes. BizBytes is brought to you by ComTogether for all your marketing needs so you can build your brand, engage audiences on multiple platforms. Go to comtogether.com.au, follow the links to book an appointment for a free consultation. 